You can only live off someone else's faith for so long, and you have to make a decision, is this mine or not? And as a teenager, beginning to look at some of those bigger questions, is there a God? What does that mean? This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking in good faith today with Pastor Logan Wolf. He's pastor of a multi-site church, Crosspoint Church in Taylorsville, Utah, and in Provo, Utah as well. Uh, Logan Wolf, thank you for speaking with me in good faith. Well, thank you so much for having me. You I'm know, excited to be here. I, I just It's childish of me, but I can't help but starting with... Do you always get the joke, wolf in sheep's clothing? I'm sure I'm not the first yeah, you one. Know, any, any joke about wolves I have, I have heard. So. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll, di- we'll dispense with that. Too late. But <laughs> so you're originally from North Carolina, Wilmington, which I understand is right on the beach. Yes, sir. Right by the ocean. Take us back kind of to early days in your life. Did you grow up in the church? Uh, I did not. My uh, grandfather was a pastor. And they would take us to church most Sundays, but it wasn't something we experienced at home uh, outside of Sunday, something we went and did. But that was the extent of it. My, uh, I was about 10, uh, maybe a little older. My parents started going to church, seeking God and a relationship with him. And that kind of drew us in and kind of it spilled out past Sunday at that point. So, But not, not as a young child, no. Was there something that changed in your parents' lives that made them decide to do that seeking? I don't know. I can't speak specifically for either of them. I know there comes a point, I think, of course, there was all kinds of things going on in the background in their marriage and and relationships some tensions and some issues. And oftentimes it's in difficult moments that I think we look for something beyond ourselves. And that probably drove them to that point. And it wasn't simultaneously. I think my dad kind of made that that move first and then was leading our family that way. But I would say in the midst of what was chaotic, he kind of called out to God. So growing up, you'd been to church in your teen years. Was that important? Or at what point did you feel that call that you've had? I would say it wasn't important to me probably until maybe high school. Again, I feel like for a long time, it was just something that was expected of me and my brothers, what we're supposed to do, mom and dad you know, making us do, I guess, if you want to say it that way. But you can only live off someone else's faith for so long. And you have to make a decision, is this mine or not? And uh, as, a, as a teenager, beginning to look at some of those bigger questions, is there a God? What does that mean? Who is Jesus? You know, what, what's the reality of sin and eternity? And kind of sifting through those myself. And it was at that point. So. Isn't it interesting that we kind of have to have those difficult moments <laughs> to make us seek? Yes. So what was your experience as you started looking and reaching out? I guess basically looking for something, looking for all these things I had heard growing up, you know, from the times my grandparents were taking us to church just on Sundays to when my parents finally started seeking after God um, and us, our family getting into church, basically just kind of verifying is, you know, is this something that I believe in? Is this something true? And kind of just, it wasn't, I mean, I don't say personally as a teenager, there wasn't some big crisis moment, perhaps like in my parents' lives, but it was something I still had to, you still had to stop and think through. Yeah. And um, so I remember hearing about Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross and hearing about God um, just before going into high school, maybe it was middle school. And then as going into high school, kind of putting that all together and really thinking through those things. So it was, I would say, a process. I don't think there was a time I sat down and said, oh, I've got this all figured out. So (laughs) (laughs) I think that's interesting, a process, because it doesn't seem to be a one-time thing. Some people will have a dramatic moment that was sort of a beginning for them. 
I didn't. Right. For, and and for many that I speak with, it was kind of just an unfolding, I right. guess. If you're paying attention, you start to put spiritual two and two together. Yeah, and I think that's the, the whole idea of it being a process is significant because if your faith is based on a one-time kind of kind of miraculous or catastrophic, however you want to word it, good or bad, just kind of a, an event that drove you to God, then when that the memory of that or the emotion of that wears off, I think you're kind of kind of left still looking. But if it's something that you're, you're, it's an ongoing process and you're pursuing God, I think that the tendency is it's there a little longer than just, you know, that emotional high or that emotional yeah. low. Do you remember choosing faith? Like, I am taking this step of faith and believing. I do. I do remember that specifically, um, recognizing, one, who I am as a human, as an individual, and uh, the severity of sin according to what the Bible says, the Word of God, and and recognizing what Jesus Christ, again, according to what the Bible says, has done on behalf of our sin, paying for it there on the cross, and identifying, yes, that's that sacrifice is what I'm banking on to make me holy and righteous and acceptable before God and, and nothing else. I'm, I'm looking to Jesus only. So I do remember that moment. Um, but again, you don't make a decision like that and then, okay, ship shape, I'm good for now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that, that's right. there, done that. <laughs> right. It's, a, it's the catalyst of what is now a, a, a journey of faith, a, a life-changing kind of situation. I'm wondering, because you went into ministry, there's no way to know this perhaps. Maybe you know. If you hadn't gone into ministry, would would you have kept that same fire? Can you tell? I don't. I don't know. I think uh, that decision of putting my faith in what Christ had done predated my my feeling God called me to ministry. So I, I, I no doubt that would have been there. That mm. that beginning of that spiritual journey, that that relationship. Ministry takes you down a totally different road. So I, it's hard to say. You know what it, what my life would have looked like. Had I gone into something else, you know, I had I wanted to be an architect. Uh, I had some different plans, and so who knows what, where that would have taken me. But I would still like to think if I'm I'm making that decision for God, that that would have had some kind of directive on what I was doing. Does that make sense? It That's, does. Okay, it's really not fair for me to ask That's you right. to <laughs> pr- predict alternate universes That's of right. the past. <laughs> So I, I was really intrigued. I looked at uh, a blog that you wrote before you moved your writings over to your current church blog. Oh, okay. And I was really struck by uh, a trip to Honduras that you took. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. a couple of comments you made. This is August 2014. So okay. we're reaching back. You talked about, we worshiped with local believers at this particular church. During the service, a woman went up front and gave a testimony. I was encouraged by the entirety of the service, but God used this moment within it to speak to me. Through a translator, we learned she was praising God for his goodness, thanking him for always meeting her needs. Yes. You said you just choked up then. Why? Well, because you're met with, it's interesting to get outside of your cultural context and to see faith in a different setting. Because Honduras, we were met with just abject poverty. I mean, we were making some visits and houses just with dirt floors and I remember making I remember visiting one lady she's blind and she had a baby and the baby was just mound I mean just a little skeleton in her arms mm. and and yet her talking about how good God was to her and was just blowing my mind and then the same kind of thing here in the service this lady goes up front and I remember this lady had nothing and and yet to talk about the the grace and the mercy and the provision of God it was just an amazing thing. And it puts things in context. Again, if I was removed from where I am, 
how would my faith translate into those different settings? And I don't anyway, it was just an emotional. Of course, that was near the end, coming to the conclusion of the trip. Uh, I think a good climax for our experience mm-hmm. there in Honduras, but. It was that was interesting. It's interesting you found that blog. <laughs> well, well, there, well, there were two things I took out of it. Yeah, go one, ahead. One is you you said stuff does not mean spiritual, right? And I, you know, that's there's the, a tendency to think, oh, I'm so blessed, thus I must be doing yes, great. Yes, sir, that's exactly right. Man, younger Logan, you have written some good things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, and then sometimes we think because I'm I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, and because I'm I'm such a good person or a spiritual, that's why I have all the. Look how God has blessed me. I have the the two or three story house, and we have two or three cars, and we have this job, and that's a result of God's blessing. And God, everything we have certainly does come from God, and so I do think we can say yes, thank you, Lord, for this. But the the stuff is not that's not how we gauge God's provision because you know God, uh, there's some especially when you read through the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, you see people who have practically nothing, you beggars and 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 the disabled and and those that are just outcast in society, and yet God's mindful of them and provides for them. And so I, I almost wonder if that's an American take on faith or if that's a, a Western take on faith where we. Kind of equate the material with those yeah. kind of blessings, and a reminder like the New Testament, the widow's mite. Right, that's... she gave more than all. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I love that. The other thing that it, it got me thinking about is ministry is a chance to do good, but also to sort of be made humble. <laughs> Will you talk about that? <laughs> yes, um, ministry is is. I I don't know. Sometimes I think people, and maybe even those you know in the congregation or in our churches, will look to the person who's up front, the person who's in the limelight, the person doing the speaking, the teaching, the person's in charge, and think, well, this person has it all figured out. And the reality of it is, I think the the more responsibility you take on, and the the more influence you have, and of course, the more you you're learning of God, the more you realize, I just. I do not know. The more, uh, just so much more I could be learning. And you see someone, and, and there's a tendency, at least in, in my situation, where you put all this time into study and education and this sort of things, and yet then you'll come out at the street level and you'll see someone implementing it just so just so simply. Mm. And I almost, it almost kind of just, I missed it. It went over my head when I'm in the, you know, when I'm in the office working, <laughs> but here's what this looks like. And it, it is, it is humbling to see, to be taught having, I, I, in those situations, I see God is teaching us through mm. these other people. And uh, this, you know, this is what you say. You spent this many hours, you know, studying this and looking in this, but here's what, it, you know, just look over here and here's it being lived out. And it's so simple and so straightforward. So I say all that to say, I don't know what I'm doing. So... <laughs> <laughs> which, which I think is probably a really good place to to, to, to be at. <laughs> yes, so sir. I'm wondering because you are a young man, right? You and your wife married. You have a, a baby who's just over a year or about a year and a half. Yes, sir. So you are pastoring people twice, three times your age, with lots of Christian life experience. So it seems like you would have to be learning from them. Yes, all the sir. Time. In our particular situation, I. We may there are a lot of people who may be older than us, um, but maybe not have been Christians all that long. So, uh-huh. uh, so that you know, that's not the case. I know elsewhere. Sometimes that is, you know, you are pastoring people who've been believers for decades and decades. But yeah, you you constantly have to be looking into to what you're teaching, what you're saying, and but also where people are. And it it also reminds me, age is not necessarily the marker for spiritual maturity. I mean, I've come across a lot of older people that were making spiritually foolish decisions, and mm. I have interacted with people much younger than myself that were saying some things like, man, that is an incredibly wise statement. And, you know, you're just, you, you really don't know. You can't say, well, this person's, 
you know, 50 years old, they should be at this level because that's not necessarily <laughs> the case, right? Or this person's only 15, so I'm going to write them off. Uh, you just you can't do that. What are the things in your own personal life that connect you with feeling like you're connected to God? I would say a couple things. One, I, I think being out and enjoying the natural world, just creation. When I lived in North Carolina, I would go surfing every day, and I love being at the ocean and, and just the sounds and the birds and, and the sunset and all that kind of stuff. But coming here, I've taken up hiking, and I love to go up in the mountains, oftentimes by myself, especially if it's a trail I know, and just spend a day, a day and a half, you know, do a little camping and just get alone. And just you see the enormity of the mountains, and you see the trees, and you hear the hear the birds, and you see the animals, and and God tells us uh, in his in his word, and in fact in the book of Romans, that the entirety of creation points us to Him, and so that's a very tangible way I think of of experiencing God. Also, more of late. In the book of Luke in the New Testament, Jesus talks what's called uh, teaches what's called the Great Commandment. You know, we love we love God, and then the flip side of that is we love others as ourselves. And for the longest time, I mean, even years having been in Utah, I was somewhat introverted in that I would go to church on Sunday, do my thing, and then I didn't want to talk to anybody until next Sunday. And I, I came across I actually came across a book out of it's been a year or so. It was called The Art of Neighboring. And the author in this book talks about the the great commandment and specifically our loving our, our literal neighbors, the people right next door. It was really convicting because I realized where we live now, well, we used to live in a condo just, just up, up the road here. And the, I had neighbors, and maybe you've had neighbors like this. I avoided them at all costs because, you know, they were just – either talkers and latched on to you or they were weird or what you know and so sometimes I would be in my car and I'd see them out and I would just sit in my car and wait for them to go in before I even go out I feel bad about that now but now in the house we're in we moved just up the road from that and I realized we've been here for 4 years and I didn't know any of my neighbors I didn't know any of them 4 years in this neighborhood and I read this book and and of course, the whole thing was about the great commandment, and God just really convicted me, and so I had to suck up my pride and quit using the I'm an introvert excuse, and I walked across the street, and I knocked on the door, and I said, I said hey, I'm Logan. I live right there. I've lived right there for four years. I'm really sorry I haven't come over here and introduced myself. And you would not believe how receptive people were to that because they turn around, well, we're so sorry. We should have come over too. And, and of course, now we know many people in our neighborhood and uh, the houses around us and up and down the street. And we've been in their house and they've been in ours. And so to get back to your question, I have found that living that out, loving your neighbor and engaging with other people has been an incredible way to experience God. Because again, I think it's Romans 13, God tells us that love is the fulfillment of the law. And so by reaching out and selflessly caring for others and letting them care for you, it's a two-way street. It's not I'm, I'm bowing down to, you know, to assent to you. It's, it's a two-way street. I think we experience what God intends for, for human community. And it's just been an amazing, amazing and, thing. And don't you feel different about where you live? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it is. So, you know, because I think sometimes you have, you're not engaging those around you. 
you kind of have these preconceived notions of who they are and what they're doing and all this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And, and the world can seem scary and dark, but then to reach out and now it's not, oh, that's that guy. Now I know their names. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's really kind of changed the dynamic of our home life. Mine and my wife's both. And it's been an amazing thing just to see that kind of snowball. And like I said, not just introducing ourselves, but now we've, you know, going out and doing things with neighbors and having them over. We've got neighbors coming over, I think, next week. And, and just a, it's, a good, it's a good thing. And it's been, for me personally. But I love that you see that not only as a good thing, but as something that connects you to God. It does. And, it, and again, I just feel like that's what God intends for us as individuals, to, to love others. And I just... It's a very simple thing to do, but I feel like it's so overlooked. Or sometimes I think we spiritualize love your neighbor, and we think of the people in Honduras. Well, I went to Honduras. Obviously, I love my neighbors, right? I went down there, and but the whole time ignore. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but the whole time ignoring the people right right next door, and so it's been paradigm shifting. I total. I mean, I feel like connected with God when we're making that effort and and living that out. You've learned to do that and still might be a little bit of an introvert. Yes. And, you know, and I just feel like if this is what God's commanded us to do, then there's a way to do it. He knows me and he knows my tendencies and he knows my nature, my character. So there's a way I can do it that honors that and in in light of that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think we can write off that command and say, well, it doesn't apply to me because I'm afraid of people or, I'm, you know, that's. that's (laughs) That's a, a beautiful way of being in touch. Yes, sir. Are there things that have been not stumbling blocks necessarily, but things where you finally just had to say, I see the evidence of God in so many ways that this hard thing for me, I'm just going to choose to take in faith? Yeah, I would I would point back, especially when we first moved to Utah. We moved to Utah. We didn't know anyone. We left all of our, all of our family and friends in North Carolina. Didn't know anyone here. We moved here. We didn't have any jobs lined up or anything. And... From the time we moved here to the time we started holding weekly church services was three months. So we jumped right in. And for the first six months, no one came. It was just me and my wife. And so you put all this work and preparation in. And it just felt because everything had lined up so cleanly for us to get here, the finances and finding a place to live and and everything was just coming together. And then we got here and it just stopped. Hmm. And we really wrestled. I mean, to the point that because you know, you're thinking, wait, I thought this was a plan, a, right? You know, and I, and I was like, what What has happened? Because the way things were going, I assumed and was just well, we're gonna get we're gonna get there. This is gonna be a big boom. It'll go great. Everything's gonna be awesome. And it was not awesome. For, <laughs> <laughs> it was not awesome. And uh, I, at that point, you had to go back to we're here because we know this is where God wants us. And if you didn't have this concrete calling um, that you could point back to, it would have been easy to quit. Just kind of, you know, when you don't know why you're doing something, it's always easy to quit, you know, ministry or otherwise. If you, if it's foggy on the reason behind it, so well, just it'd be easier to just go back to what we were doing. And so that was a really difficult, a really difficult period for us. So that's faith. That's choosing. Right. Yes, sir. I will believe in what happened before looking forward. Right. To- in spite of what I'm feeling right now. As I sit here by myself. So. so now tell me about the years after that. So it, it's slowly, and it has still been slow, but we begin making inroads in the community. Of course, we participate in everything. We show up at fairs and expos and farmer's markets and have a booth, and we talk to all kinds of people. We do stuff out in the community as far as like outreach and service projects and volunteer work. So we were making these connections, and those connections slowly have begun to pay off, and people were coming in. And, and then I remember when people started sticking, uh, and that was exciting. So it wasn't... You, you, you were people you were counting on seeing each week and 
Mm. And then, of course, even in recent years, well, about two and a half years ago, we absorbed what is now our Taylorsville campus and totally redid our model of ministry. Of course, it's a much larger group of people in Taylorsville than down here in Provo. It's a little different community. But even then, having that kind of support and the the extra people praying and extra people volunteering, extra people giving, extra people caring, that's just been tremendous. And and so that, I think, has even – having that momentum has kind of snowballed even out a little bit more. So, You know, people have to make decisions like this all the time. There might be a job opportunity in Pittsburgh or I work for this company, they could send me to any number of places. Right. Would you talk to me about this? What did it feel like for you and your wife to feel like, we know this is what we're supposed to do? What was that experience to, to move across the country? Well, it was something... Had you been praying for, for yeah, something? Yes, so, okay. I'm gonna, I will go ahead. I'm going to tell you the story, and you can use this as you see fit. Okay. Because it's my, inter, my first interaction with Mormons is at this point. So, okay. Coming out of high school, my junior, my senior year, right getting out of high school, I met a Mormon girl for the very first time, only Mormon I knew, had introduced me to it. I mean, we we actually dated for a little while even, and she had me read the Book of Mormon and meet the Mormon missionaries. And from what I had, from what we just talked about, from what I had learned, you know, hearing the Bible preached and attending these services over here, there was a difference. And I'm not, I mean, there's no, I mean, I'm aware there's a difference here. And so I went back and told her, and not the nicest terms. And that was <laughs> that, you know. I'm you were not, young. I, I was. It was it was stupidity is what that was. But maybe my intentions were good, but that was just off. I told her, you know, she was wrong. Let's just leave it at that. I told her she was wrong. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things I just couldn't get away from. And I ended up meeting more Mormon missionaries. And I actually was in Brazil, went, took a mission trip in Brazil right out of high school. So just before college and went to, for three weeks down there. Of course, the Mormon temple there in Sao Paulo saw that. And so many Mormon, more Mormon missionaries down in Brazil than I'd ever even seen in North Carolina and just couldn't get away from it. So when I came out from Brazil, the, the guy told me, the guy I was staying with him, he said, I mean, you should, you should just go to Utah and just see if you're, you know, if you're running into it, if it's something you can't get away from, you should just go see it and see if maybe God's calling you out, out West. And so I went and I stayed with a pastor up in Ogden. We did the Temple Square tour and the convention center and all this, the history museum. And I just really felt this is where God was calling us. And so I felt that way personally. And then I got engaged to my my wife now. And before we got married, I said, we need to to go see Utah because this is where I feel God's calling me. And, you know, it's easier to break up an engagement than a marriage. And so I said, let's go see it. This is a lot to lay on a relationship. (laughs) No pressure, but we did. <laughs> See, you get me, and that there's is hilarious. more. That is hilarious. I didn't see it like that. That's funny. And uh, <laughs> so we came out. We stayed with a pastor who was pastoring what is now our Taylorsville campus. So mm-hmm. here, my my wife, she wasn't even twenty yet, and we come stay with this pastor in Taylorsville and show her the same things. Come down here, show her Provo, and she felt, yeah, I could. This is something I think we could do. This is something I think God is calling you to. And so that's kind of sealed the deal. And from that point on, when we got married, we anticipate we are going to go to Utah. And so the two years after we got married was basically fundraising. And I was working in a church and kind of just prepping that way and, and eyes on uh, eyes on Provo. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And so <laughs> feeling this definite nudge and then that period of, wait a minute, the people that I have spoken with, 
who feel like they have had spiritual promptings or are being led, they often talk about either two ways. Now that I look back, right. I see the hand of God. But when you're in the middle of it and you're pleading, right. show me your hand, show me the way. You know, and sometimes I think, I think we make more out of the will of God than we need to. I think we super spiritualize it. You know, if God doesn't speak to me audibly, you know, we're mm. afraid to do anything because we don't want to do the wrong thing. And the truth of the matter is God, you know, has you – know, that he told us our, the one thing he wants us to do is to, to pursue him. Mm-hmm. And we can do that in all different kinds of ways. And I don't – and that while he may he, have – So he may not always care and say, wait, this was not the, right. the, the fine I, and, detail. You know, and of, I think we immobilize people when we, when we teach the will of God and talk about the will of God that way. That, well, he had one perfect career for you and you messed up. You know, and he had he had he had one person. Just this was your this was the one person you were supposed to marry, and you you messed up. You know, you were supposed to live in this house, and you went over here to this. You messed up, and that's just not. I don't see that in the Bible. I see you know, God and His sovereignty. It lets. I mean, we have a lot of freedom. I think in how we live our lives. So far as we're as long as we're we're pursuing a relationship with Him, and I think when we make it some kind of magical. Is he going to speak to me in my bowl of you know cereal? So I think we we really kind of cripple ourselves. Yeah, it sounds like you might relate to this phrase, which is that he can turn any of the events of our lives, choices, good and bad, he can turn them to our good. Right, and that, now there's I think the caveat. Of course, that's the biblical concept. You know, Romans eight talks about he works all things to good, but the caveat is to those that love him and are mm. pursuing him. You know, there are some things obviously that you could do with your life that I don't think God would honor. And, you know, I mean, no, I don't know if he's going to honor the pornographer. He's not going to honor the, the person who's in human trafficking, who's trafficking children. But beyond those that are, are clearly contradictory to his to His word and his commands, I do. I think he's given us a lot of a lot of leeway and he can turn those things and work out his purposes. And we don't have to live in fear of, did I miss it? Mm-hmm. And here we are only 20, 30, 40 years old, and we're going to live the rest of our lives and regret that we met. You know what I say? That's just, I think that's that's terrible. Because faith is a journey mm-hmm. for most of us, what do you think differently or perceive differently now than when you first started on that path? That's a good question. Growing up in North Carolina, which is part of the Bible Belt, there were things that were cultural Christianity that were closely either presented or, or so indistinguishable from the actual biblical Christian faith that you thought they were the same thing. Mm. And really what they were were just people's preferences or, or st- you know, standards that they'd set, traditions, and they were just kind of presented alongside of the Bible, and you just you thought this all together. So we move out to Utah away from that, and being in the, the spiritual minority, the, the, the community here, we had to kind of sift through and think and work through intentionally and consciously what is it we really believe and are going to cling to? And what is just what was just cultural Christianity? What was someone else's conviction, someone else's mm. preference? And it was freeing to come. And I think everyone should live somewhere where they're in the minority some way. And to be here and to kind of have that, be living in that framework and kind of shake off those non-essentials and shake off those peripheral issues and say, okay, this is what our faith is. And everything else is is just peripheral. Everything else is secondary. And so I would say we're at a point where what we believe, we actually truly believe, my wife and I, it isn't someone else's belief, it isn't someone else's preference. This is where we've come to. And so I think we've kind of taken more ownership of our faith and have really thought through where we are instead of 
um, again, just being kind of being told yeah, and just yeah. absorbing it. And sometimes it's just as simple as, does it matter if we pray first or sing first? Right. Or does, it's like, it doesn't right. matter. It, it, it does. and, there, and those are the kind of things I'm yeah. talking about, the order of service or, 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 you know, can you go to the movie theater or can women wear pants? And, uh-huh. and everyone has, a, which is, I mean, I'm not knocking anyone's preferences or opinions, but I'm saying you can have those opinions and you can have those preferences. The danger is when you equate that with this is part of the Christian faith because it's not. I mean, those. Th- no matter how passionately you feel about it, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one more thing from your website writings, <laughs> which, by the way, you can follow you online at crosspointutah.com. Here was one, again, from, from the past, because I started at the beginning. I didn't have time to read that all is, of your writings awesome. over time. That is but awesome. In today's world, I'm quoting you, I can instantly find the nearest Chinese restaurant, the score of a basketball game, eating habits of the koala bear for my daughter's research paper, and what my college freshman is up to on her Facebook account. Where can I find hope? You talk about that we say, Google it. Find out anything by Googling. Right. And so you Googled hope and faith and joy. And got interesting definitions. Yes, that's an older one too. How long ago was that? Because I'm, I'm remembering. I remember. I started at 2014, say, so sometime <laughs> around there. <laughs> I have a hard time remembering things too. <laughs> you said I googled hope. The first term was information and support for homeowners. <laughs> you know, there's hope. Don't lose your home. That kind of thing. Then peace and found a list of organizations striving for world unity and nonviolence. Googled love and out came. The love calculator. How likely are you to succeed in your relationship? <laughs> this isn't really scriptural definition, no. but uh, so, so you you were talking about knowledge or earthly definitions that right. are different, I think, than spiritual definitions. Yes, sir. So talk to me about joy. I mean, we have things happen that quote make us happy. We get that car we were right. saving for, or we finally got the color of paint we meant the living room to be. You know, <laughs> but that's not necessarily joy. No, I think joy transcends our circumstances, and joy transcend, transcends the uh, the situations that we're in, and maybe even what we're we're feeling emotionally at that at that time. It's something that I, th- I would say wells up even outside of our ourselves. Is, is the sources outside of ourselves? You know, biblically again to go to the New Testament, Galatians, joy is a, a fruit of the spirit, and it's something God gives us. And it's not you know the fruit of the spirit isn't it's not like spiritual gifts. You know, where God mm-hmm. gives. You know, this person has the gift of teaching and this person has the gift of administration. And so our gifts, you know, would vary person to person. But that's not the case with fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit are for all believers. So you can't say, well, I'm not joyful. I guess that's not my thing. No, that God, God gives that to all of us. And so even with the, those others, joy and hope, these are things that when God comes into an individual's life and he radically transforms their heart, uh, these are things that he infuses us with and... Uh, it's something we can feel separate from the circumstances right. we may I mean, be in. Right. I mean, because you your world can be falling apart. Your marriage is on the rocks. Your, your children are being rebellious. Your home's being foreclosed on. You've just got fired. Your dog got hit by a car. And, and, and in that, that's not funny. Sounds, <laughs> but you were laughing. No, no, well, I'm picturing, the, I'm picturing the country song that you could write. <laughs> <from> <laughs> <laughs> sorry. That's, sorry. That's all right. Uh, but uh, in the midst of that chaos and that hurt, and we're not – in no way negating the hurt and the sorrow, but there can be, you know, God is still in control here and he still sees us and he's still aware of us and we're not alone. And, and in that, I think we can find joy and a reason to rejoice in spite of what's happening to us. What should I have asked that I don't know to ask? 
or what did you hope that you might be hmm. able to to say that we didn't get to if there if there is something this past year has been the worst year of my entire life but i think sometimes god lets terrible things happen to us not that there's some grand lesson to learn, but for the sole purpose of driving us closer to him. And that's what has happened. We were at a point, I lost staff members, and, and some was, I guess, an okay reason for them to, they moved out of state, and, and another, there was some infidelity, and they've had to step down, and we had fallout from all of that, and was basically by myself doing this multi-site thing, and there was, I was at, I mean, I was depressed, I mean, I fell into depression, and so much so that I almost just shut everything down. In fact, we were driving to church this past summer, and I told my wife, I said, I'm going to stand up today, and I'm just going to, I'm telling them we're done, and we're closing the church down. And so we go into church under the assumption that I'm going to shut it down, and I get up, and I preach, and do the announcements, and pray, and we leave, and my wife, my wife says, uh, you didn't shut it down. <laughs> and I said, no. And again, going back to what we said, God has called us to this. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And uh, I think now, in hindsight, like you had said earlier, I think we went through that. I mean, there was, I think the sole reason we went through all that hurt and pain and sorrow and, t- I mean, just awfulness was God saying, look here, you, you've mapped all this out. You've, you've marked and you've left me out of the equation. Hmm. And he's taking, you know, because we had, because when you're running just the administrative side of two cities and, and two groups of people, and we had tried to get it all down to a T and he's like, I'm going to take that and I'm just going to destroy it. And now what are you going to do? And it let, it really kind of, I mean, it forced us to say, okay, God, we need you. This is not, this is not Logan's plan. This is not Crosspoint's plan. What we need you here. And so that was a, a big, uh, a kind of lesson, a big kind of turning point this past summer. It never stops, does it? Learn. It does. It never stops. There's always, you're always learning. You're always growing. And, and when you stop, God shakes things up. So, Pastor Logan Wolf, thank you for speaking in good faith today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. In the second half of the show, we'll listen in on a panel as they discuss the ideas presented by our guest, Pastor Logan Wolf. Back in a moment with more of In Good Faith. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts and stories of faith and belief. So how do you know when God is leading you to do something? And what if you don't do it? Or what if you follow that inspiration and things don't turn out the way you expected? We invited a group of people to listen and then respond. Eric Samuelson is a playwright, a blogger, and a Utah jazz fan. He'd like us to know he has lost 104 pounds since June. Maddie Blonquist is a senior studying music and humanities at BYU. She likes olives and chocolate, but not together. Savannah Claussen is an environmental humanities student at BYU who enjoys reading trees and waffles. Dr. Sean Hopkin is a husband and father of four who loves Texas, Utah, and teaching. There's a lot to talk about. There are a lot of interesting issues that he raised. But I want to start with one very simple one where he talks about getting to know his neighbors and and the requirement he felt to, to love his neighbors. Earlier this week, in fact, over the weekend, we had a terrible snowstorm here. So I got up in the morning and I saw my neighbor out shoveling my driveway and the sidewalk in front of our house. And I mean, we've lived in this house for 18 years. This is a neighbor I, I know. I wouldn't consider him any 
closer than I would consider my other neighbors. He's a guy that lives in our neighborhood. But I was just so struck with his kindness, and I was so grateful for him him doing that. And, and uh, my initial impulse actually was to say, stop doing that. We have people here who could scrape the driveway. But I've had some health issues in recent years, and he knew that, and he knew that that wasn't something I was able to do, and that it was either me or my wife, and that I wasn't able to do it. And he just took that upon himself, said, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to clear off this guy's driveway. And and that really resonated with me when he talks about how we're commanded to love our neighbors, but that doesn't mean neighbors in the abstract. It could actually mean the people with whom, you know, who, who we live in their proximity, people who actually are neighbors of ours. And it made me realize how few of those neighbors I – I know very well uh, how many, how few of those neighbors I have served in the way in which this good fellow was serving our family. So that really resonated with me, this idea that God requires us to love our neighbors. And that's hard for me because that word love, I mean, love doesn't mean like your neighbors. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean get along with your neighbors. It doesn't mean Tolerate your neighbors. Tolerate your neighbors or <laughs> put up with your neighbors. Don't burn their house down. Yeah, exactly. But it means love your neighbors. Honestly, I struggle with that. And yet I can't help but think of after a really bad snowstorm when there was a lot to do on that driveway, that this good man was showing love. Uh, love which I honestly don't believe I've ever reciprocated. Absolutely. And I think that – I mean, service is so connected to this principle. I think that is shared by many faiths, this idea that it's through service that we try to emulate God and treat others how God would treat them. And I've struggled with that as well. Just And, and it was great how um, this pastor had mentioned, you know, he's an introvert. This is something that's outside of his comfort zone. And I've had to learn that maybe my ideal or my image of the good Christian or the good Samaritan or the person who does keep this particular Christian commandment well, that I maybe have my own way of doing that and that I don't need to look like this other model. So, for example, my my sister is probably one of the most – who I would define as one of the most compassionate and kind, loving, patient people that I know. <laughs> and those aren't necessarily instinctive feelings that I have. And yet I've had to realize I'm a very thoughtful person and I'm a very – I'm good at listening. And so trying to see – okay, maybe – and recognize and – accept that the way that I love my neighbor might be different than the way my neighbor loves me, but that's okay because I'm still participating and trying to apply this this maxim. That helps in relationships, right? I, they may love me differently than I love them, and that's okay. That, that's a challenging thing, I think, for most of us in our relationships. I loved that about the neighbor as well. I think for all we've all got neighbors, right? So I think that's an image that really uh, probably hits home for everyone who hears him speak about that, uh, it certainly did for me. I thought about my neighbors and when was the last time I served them. I'm in a, a position in my life where I teach and I interact with a lot of people there. And then in my own church community, I am uh, serving in a way that I interact with a lot of people. And I was just processing thoughts today uh, I, that are sort of like the 
the prodigal son. I want to go into a far country and disconnect myself from everybody. I'm tired, you know, of being so connected sometimes. And and so I I, I know exactly those feelings of wanting to come home and, and open the garage door with my automatic garage door opener and get inside before anybody else can say anything to me, you know, and, and hide away. And and I, I I lose opportunities to really connect in ways that could build me up and satisfy me, recharge me when I do that. I, I know this is a conversation my wife and I have had a number of times, and it goes like this. It goes – you know, we really ought to get to know our neighbors a little bit. And then that's where we leave it. <laughs> you know, having said that, we've discharged our obligation without ever actually having to put ourselves out. So uh, his notion that we should actually go and talk to him, that's has some residence. But I agree with you, too. There are times you just sort of want to. Be left alone. Recharge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not. Yeah. And I think also sometimes – Spiritually and religiously speaking, we focus a lot on our uh, desire and almost duty to to love, um, and I think that's really important. But when I when I heard him talk about uh, the neighbor's story, I think it's one that probably resonated uh, with all of us uh, because we're all neighbors. Um, we all have neighbors, but it kind of hit me differently because it led me to think about times that I've been on the receiving side um, of that love. And I think that's also a responsibility that we forget um, that helps us love more deeply is when we know how to receive it. Isn't that a lot harder? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I really think so. I, I would so rather go where, where I'm capable of it, scrape my neighbor's driveway than have him scrape mine. More vulnerable to yeah. receive yeah. than yeah. to give. Yeah, yeah. It is, it's much harder. And I think that's similar – feeling kind of applies to maybe our relationship with deity this idea that i don't know he can he can give and he can take away and it takes a lot of faith and effort to continue to choose him despite the circumstances that he might rearrange in our lives and for me that relationship with god is very real in that sense there are times when i'm really angry and discouraged with him because there are there are things that I don't understand in my life that are occurring that seem to be linked to something he's trying to teach me or because it's good for me. <laughs> and it's a very paternal kind of relationship, um, at least in, in what I've been taught. It's, it's a heavenly father, um, which is a little bit more intimate than maybe just the general all-powerful almighty that um, we also used to refer to him. But I don't know. I think that vulnerability also is, is very much accompanies that, that great commandment is to, you know, love God and love your neighbor. I think both of those feelings and challenges accompany those relationships. I, I wonder if I could take this in a maybe slightly different direction. I, I wonder if I could also tie it to his story about uh, visiting Honduras and the and the and the poverty that he that he encountered there, and, and the extraordinary gratitude and humility that that seems to have led to with the people with whom he interacted. I am a white, male, middle-class American. And I can't help but be those things because that is actually who I am. But that means that I am in the top 1% of the top 1% of the top 1% in terms of wealth for everyone who's ever lived on this planet. I cannot help but come from a position of privilege. 
So when I see someone who comes from a background of, of, of poverty, it's difficult for me to completely understand where they're coming from. Whatever interaction I might have with them, it seems to me that privilege and the condescension that comes with it is going to be omnipresent in my thoughts and in my reactions. How do we overcome, can I say, the trial of privilege? I mean, one way is the Sir Francis Assisi way of just giving everything away. I don't want to do that. I like my stuff. <laughs> I don't think stuff equals blessings. I agree with him there. But I also really like my stuff. And that doesn't mean there have been struggles, there have been difficulties, there have been trials. There have been. But how do we overcome privilege? I was thinking about that as well. Just kind of maybe in a, I could rephrase it a little bit differently, but the idea that sometimes it's easier to serve those that we see as beneath us and that somehow we gain status or pride in the recognition that we are, you know, stooping down to make something better, which unfortunately is a very, you know, kind of ethnocentric problem, which I think is why his story did resonate is because there was that sense of at least perceived equality of walking across the street and just interacting with the person right next to him. It was not that I'm going to this country for this purpose, and he was in a specific mindset to do that, but he was meeting someone else on maybe a leveler playing field. If that's not bad to say, I, I realize this is kind of sensitive to, to talk about. But yeah, I don't, I don't know that I can offer a solution, but I think it's definitely something to think about and check motives and intentions making sure that we're doing things because we really want to and because we feel like there's something that could genuinely help another person in their life that we're capable of providing for them rather than just doing it because either one we're supposed to or it makes us feel better about ourselves. This is a conversation in good faith. Listeners sharing their thoughts on the first half of today's show with Pastor Logan Wolf. Find the full episode online at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith. Now back to the conversation. So I'm interested in maybe shifting gears, but not moving away from that, but uh, moving to something else that he spoke about that I think connects in in slightly different ways. His experience of uh, moving someplace and and having this, and we know what this is like to start a new project, and there's this uh, emotional uh, euphoria of beginning, and then stage two is the realization of what we've gotten ourselves into. And, uh, and and then he talked about, you know, moments when maybe you just want to be done. You, you think, nope, uh, it's, it's time to let it go. And sometimes it is the right thing to just say, nope, I'm moving on now. But when he was talking about those kinds of moments, I thought of the story of Jonah and the whale, which has been a meaningful one in my life for dark times, for upside down times when you're in the in the water, you know, and there's no way you survive this. You just nobody comes out of the water after three days down there, and it's all gonna fail. And it's pretty dark and uh, confusing. And it, it's fascinating. I think he touched on it in a lot of different ways to say, well, we we want to put our expectations on God, what it's supposed to look like, and what oh well, this is what blessings are supposed to feel like and sound like and look like, and and to let give God some freedom and ourselves some freedom to experience our lives and then come up on the other side a new individual reborn changed stronger but but on oh, the middle of those times it is 
it's so hard to maintain faith. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm maybe going a little bit different direction because I thought of Jonah as he was talking about that. You know, Logan didn't talk about Jonah necessarily, but that's what I was processing as Jonah's pleading from in the middle of the whale, you know, bring me back. And then God brought him back. But those were probably three dark days, you know, down in the, the place of death, so to speak. So anyway, that was touching to me and made me think of some challenging circumstances in my own life. Jonah had a whale, though. I mean, a whale show. I mean, that's, you know. <laughs> I haven't been in one of those things, I though. I have not but, been uh, in I don't know, I, Which would have been better, or actually. Not, not even necessarily a whale. This is a big fish. But, you know, <laughs> that's the amazing part of that story is that he got a whale to show up, you know. Yeah, it was, the darkest, him. It was yeah. the darkest moment of his life. Well, as I recall, Jonah didn't particularly want to go to Nineveh. And once he got there, he didn't want to do what he was supposed to. It's a lot more like this than we'd like to admit, probably. <laughs> I think so, too. I think so, too. Even after he got a whale, you know, even after the whale ate him and spit him up, he was still like, no, nah, I don't think so. You know, I'm not going to bless their lives. Heck with them. So this weaves together things you were talking about going, you know, serving those that were not comfortable, you know. <laughs> yeah. Being, and he says, I think all of us should live in a place where we're minorities, you know. Uh, and, and boy, Jonah, uh, that he was called to do that and he did not want to go. There's that call to the ministry that can take us down into the darkness, you know, and there's mm-hmm. something on the other side. But got to walk through the darkness first. Or curse a gourd vine. <laughs> um, a few years ago. I I had, for a number of reasons, come to doubt the faith culture and the faith community I'd been raised in and that I had been part of my entire life. I thought that I could no longer, in good faith, I could no longer be comfortable as an honest person if I continued in that faith, but I also couldn't think of anything else I would do instead or where else I, I would go. I'd come to doubt not just the answers I'd always had, but the possibility of answers entirely. So that would be my Jonah moment. The the pat, easy answers that my faith community was recommending to me, I found completely without foundation or usefulness. And finally, the only thing I could fall back on is two words, not yet. I feel like I almost need to leave, but not yet. And not yet gave me the space to listen to what I believed were whisperings from God that never once said, oh, shut up or stop it or anything like that, but instead said, well, okay, but what if – well, okay, but what if? And those new questions led me finally to a, a space of peace. And long story short, I ended up reengaging with the faith community I'd grown up with and remain there today. So I, I'm not sure that when Jonah sends the whale, that the whale is an answer. But I think the whale might be a challenge. It might be a – well, on the other hand, I don't know if that resonates with any of you. It definitely resonates with me. Um, I feel like I 
have been through particular faith crises of my own that have gone on for much longer than, than I was comfortable with. I would have rather been in it or out of it, but not in the in-between. Yeah, the in-between is a very hard place. Yeah. I think that's what the whale is, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's the in-between, the forcing isn't it? you to stay in the yeah. yeah. And I just love the, I feel like there was a theme in his interview about this idea of process. And when you said not yet, that's what came to my mind is um, just this, this feeling of, of sifting. And, and they use, he used the word a lot of seeking. And I know that if I was in a whale, I'd be seeking um, for something. And I don't even know if I'd know what, but I just think it's beautiful that God can speak to all of us in our own languages and that you heard those words, not yet, um, and that I can hear the words that I need to hear. I just think it's an incredible thing. And I mean, I have heard those same words. So that's that's really interesting not that, yet. You, that you bring that up. Yeah, because I think the 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 struggle for me with faith, um, a lot of people talk about wrestling with salvation and this idea, um, at least in Christianity, it's about being saved and um, not, I don't know, this, this idea of sin. But for me in my life, the hardest thing has been the sins and consequences of other people that have affected me deeply that I had no control over. And so that frustration of God allowing things to happen has just been devastating at, at times in my life. And and so and I don't know that this is something that I will ever really resolve. And I think that's kind of the point because there's this deepening and this, this understanding that comes as you move successfully, even if you come out battered and bruised <laughs> on the other side of those experiences. But that he, I truly believe that he loves us enough to allows us to experience those things, even if it is a tremendous risk for him, that it will take us away from him. He trusts us enough to to continue to choose him and work through things and and just kind of hang in there. Whether we want to be in the whale or not, I think that is that is the space that allows you to finally come to that that higher plane of thought and and spiritual being. So so Maddie, you're you're saying that that phrase not yet. Mm-hmm was was an important part of your process absolutely as well. yeah. yeah I think there have been um, you know we're, we're taught that that faith is where all the answers are and I don't know that that necessarily um, rings as true to me as maybe it, or it, it rings differently to me um, I think that God and you know in at least my belief system his son Jesus Christ does offer this healing and this this tremendous support during some of these very real tangible trials in our lives but that there's a timing that can often prolong and be frustrating kind of like Savannah was saying that some of these things have lasted a lot longer than we were comfortable with <laughs> and so for me it was a matter of me kneeling down and just kind of praying and saying, you know, can I stop feeling this way or can I can I stop feeling broken or can I, you know, when is this going to be over? And can't you do what you've promised and what I keep reading about and what you've taught that you will do? Can't I, can't I have that sense of wholeness and um, kind of connection and, and peace? And those words were, yeah, not yet. So it's, it's a different situation. And yet there and again, you know, retrospect, it just kicks you every time. Like, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah now yeah. I can see why that needed to, why the timing was um, not only important, but just extremely crucial to how that healing process kind of evolved. We're talking about process. We're talking about journey. We're not talking necessarily 
about destination. And, and when he talked about cultural Christianity, which for him was something that he wanted to avoid, uh, in my faith tradition, there's a tradition of using the term I know. I know strikes me as a destination word, not a process word. And it's a word I avoid at all costs. I never say I know. I say I believe. But I think my journey continues. I think your journey continues. I think all our journeys continue. Well, I, th- I think that journey motif is clear throughout what Pastor Wolf is talking about. It's really fascinating to hear. And, and we've sort of connected it uh, with this Jonah and the whale story that he talked about the hardest year of his life, and yet his faith in Christ constantly brings him up out of the water. And then we're back down in the water, confused and, and reoriented again. The young Logan becomes the older Logan, and then we become young and confused again. And, exactly. Yeah. And, and I love to hear his vibrant, very joyful faith come through as he talks about difficulties and joys and then difficulties and joys. And that, that strikes me as very applicable to my life. That's our time for today. Thanks to our panelists, Eric, Maddie, Savannah, and Sean, and especially to Pastor Logan Wolf for generously sharing his stories and his faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds tell their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. We hope you find value in today's conversation and welcome your thoughts and ideas about the program. Email us at ingoodfaith@byu.edu. Find us online at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts or ask Alexa for the In Good Faith podcast. Our Twitter feed is at ingoodfaithbyu. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. Our associate producers are Christine Knuckleby and Marcus Smith. I'm your host and producer, Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join with us again soon, right here, In Good Faith.